Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, this morning, I believe that the Lord is, has uh, indeed gave me a topic that it, um, it's a topic that I don't think that we hear often, spoken of often in churches, especially American churches today. However, this topic was often discussed among Christians in the first century church, quite often as a matter of fact. This topic is also discussed often among Christians around the world who are teaching, or, or I should say facing, extreme persecution. And the topic is on the second coming of Jesus Christ. I think the reason why many pastors, and there's not a lot, I mean there's other pastors that do preach on this quite often, but there's, you're not hearing it a lot of, in a lot of churches. I think the reason is many pastors that there, many pastors tend to avoid talking about this subject on a detailed level anyway, is because so often the topic of the second coming of Jesus Christ has been misunderstood and even abused by many false teachers over the years. And this has caused a lot of confusion among Christians today concerning the second coming of Christ. But really, there is no need to be confused about this topic as long as we stick specifically to what the Bible says about the second coming. We were having our class this morning, our Foundations of Faith class this morning, and we sort of talked a little bit about this. Um, and there's all kinds of opinions and all kinds of ideas of how Jesus is going to return, when he's going to return, and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and it really can get confusing, like on who is right, who is, who is speaking the truth here. Here's a little suggestion when you're trying to, if you're interested in learning, and all Christians should be interested in, in knowing more about the second coming, just stick to the scriptures. <laughs> They're pretty straightforward. Yeah, you could get complicated. There's some complicated parts in the book of Revelation. But really, what God needs us to know about it, about Christ returning, it's pretty straightforward. In the sermon today, I'm not going to get into all the specific prophecies recorded in the Bible about the end of days or the second coming of Jesus Christ, because if I did, we would really be here all day. My hope, though, is after hearing this message, and we'll be in the book of 2 Peter today, but after hearing this message, the Apostle Peter gave us regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ, it will encourage you to do a little study on your own and get serious about your calling as Christians and as a church. Now before we get started, I want to say to you all, if you are in a saving relationship with Jesus, you have nothing to fear if Jesus were to return in your lifetime to judge this earth. I know sometimes Christians can get fearful, which is sort of crazy to me, why a Christian would be fearful of Jesus returning or not looking forward to it. When Jesus returns, you don't have anything to fear. You don't have to fear for your children or anything. The second coming of Jesus Christ is just the final fulfillment of God's ultimate plan to redeem humanity and all of his creation. And this plan was set forward by God from the moment that Adam and Eve were separated from God in the Garden of Eden. Now the biggest and most amazing Part of this plan was already fulfilled when Jesus took upon the judgment by God on himself for our sins at the cross. And then he rose again three days later so we can rise again with him. But I think many Christians fail to understand what this resurrection in Christ is all about. I think some Christians assume that because that they have a saving relationship in Jesus that one day when they die, they will be re resurrected to go to heaven and all is done. That's a pretty cool thing to go to heaven, but all is not done. A Christian who goes to heaven after they die, that's only one part of God's plan, his redemptive plan. When a Christian dies and goes to heaven, this is not really the resurrection spoken often in Scripture. 
Sure, if you're a Christian and you die, you will be alive and, in, and well in the presence of God in heaven. But God has something more amazing planned. Believe it or not, He has something more amazing planned for you. God's Word tells us that all those who died in Christ are now waiting in anticipation for this plan to come to fruition. Think about that. Think about your loved ones who are in heaven right now if they died in Christ. The Bible says they're waiting in anticipation for this amazing event to happen. What are they waiting for? They're waiting for the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Resurrection Day. The day that Jesus returns, all those who died in Him before us will return with Him to be resurrected in the flesh, to live here on earth for all eternity. The way it was supposed to be before Adam and Eve ever sinned in the Garden of Eden. The return of Jesus Christ is going to be the most amazing day in all of history for those who are found in Him. But sadly, and I have to say it, it's not going to be such an amazing day for those who refuse to accept, accept His amazing grace now. In Scripture, the second coming of Christ is often referred to as the day of the Lord. We find this statement in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Sometimes the second coming of Christ is also referred to, as I already mentioned, Resurrection Day. You often hear it say in Scripture, the day of judgment. Now just know that whenever you read in the Bible, the day of the Lord, Resurrection Day, or the day of judgment, or the end of days, it's all referring pretty much to the same event. There's some details in between there. We're not going to get into all that. But it's all referring to the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter refers to this day as the day of the Lord. When he wrote a letter to the church concerning this day that was to come. Throughout this letter of 2 Peter, Peter wanted to remind Christians to stand firm so that they would live fully devoted lives to Christ through wholesome thinking while they waited, just like the loved ones we have up in heaven, waited in anticipation for the day of Christ's return. In his letter to the church, Peter didn't give any specific dates on when Jesus would return, but he did give us some hints to the times that we should be looking for. Christ's second coming. My hope today is that Peter's words will encourage you to stand firm in strength and hope and in righteousness in a world that really is falling apart around us. Because we indeed have this blessed hope that no one can ever take away from us, or if you are found in Christ. So let's just start off reading from 2 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 3. And we'll stop in verse 7. For not, we'll start in verse 1 and stop in verse 7 for right now. Peter writes, Dear friends, this is my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Hold on to that thought. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets in the command given by our Lord and Savior through the apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as, it's sent on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, God's word, the heavens, long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of the water and by the water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. 
By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Peter wants us, or wants to stimulate us, into wholesome thinking. By recalling the writings of the Old Testament prophets. Peter goes on to present some truth for us to keep our spiritual hearts excited that God, what God says will happen will happen. That's what he's doing here by reminding them of the Old Testament prophets. What God says is going to happen will happen. Because everything that the Old Testament prophets have written or said that had occurred up to that point did indeed happen. They were never wrong. There are some Christians out there today who call themselves prophets of God. These Christians give all kinds of future prophecies that they say have come personally to them from God. But there's one problem. A true prophet of God is never wrong. Never, ever wrong. Now, I'm not trying to be mean, but before the election, I was watching some YouTube videos of some of these so-called prophets, and I believe that they were, their hearts were right with God, but I think they were, I don't know what was going on in their heads, but they were making predictions about the upcoming election and were convinced that God told them the election would go a certain way, and then a certain person would be elected, and they were sure it would happen because God told them. Problem was, they were wrong. They weren't a prophet of God. When God gives a prophecy to one of his true prophets, they're always right. And the Old Testament prophets, by the way, they have a 100% track record of always being right on what they said would happen in the future. Now, not all those prophecies that the prophets of old gave have come to pass yet. Just the ones that they said would come to pass. There's still more to come. But you can be sure that the ones that they said haven't come yet will come. And that is what Peter is saying. Stay encouraged. Stay true to wholesome thinking because God's prophets are never wrong. Now Peter then goes on to deal with those who scoff at the thought that Jesus will return to this earth anytime soon. And by the way, he's talking about in the last days there would be scoffers, not just in his day. He says that in the last days, scoffers would come scoffing and following their own evil desires. That these people will even mock the notion that Jesus would return anytime soon. These scoffers may say something like this. Maybe you've heard it. Ah, we've always heard that Jesus is going to return or is coming soon. They've been saying that for many, many years. I don't think he's coming anytime soon. You know, it's one thing to hear this mocking coming from unbelievers today. I understand that. But I'm hearing this coming from many Christians today, saying that. You know, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus gave us various signs to look for that would give us an indication that he, his return would be soon. For instance, Jesus said that earthquakes would increase. By the way, I didn't have this in my sermon Yesterday I was reading off the news websites um, the earthquakes in the year 2021 over these first how many days since January. We've had more earthquakes over the last couple months than we ever had in history worldwide. They keep increasing. There would be, Jesus said there would be wars and rumors of wars. They would increase. There would be racial division increasing. Hatred and confusion would increase. Pestilence, pest, I can't talk this morning. <coughs> Pestilences and diseases 
would increase. And people would follow their own evil desires instead of what God desires. But people in our day still mock that Jesus could somehow return soon. They even say, ah, we always had earthquakes, we always had wars, diseases, and such. Jesus is not coming soon. Their thoughts, by the way, this is going to sound rude, and I don't mean it to be rude. Their thoughts are ignorant. They're ignorant because they really haven't taken the time to study and to understand prophecy, the Old Testament prophets, and even the words of the New Testament prophets like Peter and Paul, John. And they don't even take the time to understand the times that we're living in and that we're seeing in our world. Why? Because they're too busy following their own evil desires. That's what Peter's talking about. You know, it's really no different than how many people were thinking when Jesus came the first time. Many in that day refused to study the prophecies and understand the prophecies of God's Old Testament prophets and can discern the times that they were living in. Even the religious Pharisees of that day did not listen or take the time to understand the prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ because they were too busy worrying about their own religious power. Listen to what Jesus said to those religious Pharisees when they tried testing Jesus on who Jesus claimed to be when Jesus was claiming to be the Messiah. Here is Jesus' response to those Pharisees found in Matthew chapter 16, verse 2 through 4. Jesus replied, When evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red in the morning, and in the morning today it will be storming, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. I love when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees or those in power. He just like did a, a mic drop right there. While rebuking the Pharisees for not believing who he is, it's interesting that Jesus referenced Jonah. Do you know why that is? Now, do you remember the Old Testament story of Jonah? Jonah was called by God to be a prophet. And God told Jonah to go to the wicked city of Nineveh. He told Jonah to go warn the people of Nineveh to repent and to turn back to the one true God, or God would send judgment upon the people there. Now, as you might know, Jonah got a little delayed. He had a problem with a fish. <laughs> Didn't immediately obey God, but... Jonah eventually obeys God and he goes to Nineveh and he calls the people there to repentance. Jonah didn't give the people any miraculous signs. All that were given to the people there were the words from God's prophets. That's it. From God's prophet, Jonah. Jonah called the people to repent and they listened and they obeyed. And God had mercy on them, and he spared them. Going back to Jesus' word, no sign will be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. Repent. Are we listening to God's prophets on when his prophet says, talk about his coming, his second coming? Are we listening? Are we paying attention? I'm not trying to scare anyone by that question. Peter was not trying to scare anyone either. Peter was just a stimulating the minds of Christians or Christ followers to remember those prophecies and to keep focused on God's plan of redemption for the world. God's not finished with us yet until he makes all things new. That's his plan. 
And that's why Peter reminded the church of the flood in those verses. Remember, God told Noah that a flood was coming. And he instructed Noah to build an ark. It took 120 years for that flood to come. And while waiting, people mocked Noah. There were scoffers. Oh, there's no flood coming, Noah. Are you crazy building that ark? What happened? The flood came. And only Noah and his family were saved. And it's interesting that scoffers today deliberately or rather willingly set God's word aside, especially when it comes to, believe, to believing that Jesus will return anytime soon. Now when scoffers start squawking, I can't help but just sort of nod my head to the side because I've heard them. Because what these scoffers don't really understand or realize is that they are filling fulfilling prophecy themselves. They're fulfilling the words that Peter said they would do. They are no different than the religious Pharisees who scoffed at Jesus when he came the first time and claimed to be the Messiah and Savior. The scoffers are no different than the people who scoffed at Noah for building the ark. And sadly, one day, if they do not repent, as Jonah called the people to repentance, they're going to perish. By being separated from Christ when he returns because they refused to believe and instead followed after their own wicked desires. That's what Peter's talking about. But until that day comes, and it will, there's always hope <coughs> for the unbeliever. Listen to Peter's words starting in the next verse, verse 8. He said, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the day of the Lord, it's like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. <coughs> not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Quite a few years ago, I was speaking to someone who claimed to be an avowed atheist. Now this guy knew that I was a pastor, so he asked me a question. And it was a question that I know comes up in all of our minds at some point in our life. He asked me, if God really exists, Mike, then why does God allow all the pain, all the suffering, and all the evil in this world? If God is good, why doesn't he do something about it? Have you ever asked that question yourself? I have. But I also know God's word. So my answer to this atheist was the same answer Peter gives here. I said to this person, because God is patient with you. This guy sort of gave me a weird look, an angry look even. And he said, are you saying that I'm the cause of all the pain Suffering and evil in this world? I said, yeah, we all are, in a way. Which is why we need Jesus. And which is why God is patient with those who don't know him or believe in him yet. I went on to explain to this person that one day, perhaps soon, God is going to deal once and for all with all the pain and suffering and evil in the world that he cares, this guy cares, and we all do so much about. Jesus is coming back to redeem this world, but also to judge it. He's going to set all things right. But here's the thing, he's patient because he wants everyone with him. But until that time comes, we need to stand firm as believers, waiting on this blessed hope. Now unfortunately this guy scoffed at me and he laughed. I didn't get angry. I didn't get offended. I just prayed for this man that God would soften his heart and open his eyes 
Here's the truth. Everyone knows that there is something seriously broken in this world. But many will point the finger at every other person than themselves for why the world is so broken. And then they also look to everything and everyone else to fix the brokenness of the world. It's sort of crazy. We blame other people for the brokenness of the world, then we look to other people to fix the brokenness of the world. They will look to even religion or spiritualism. They especially look to our politicians to fix the brokenness of this world. But they all know the world only grows more wicked, more broken, and more evil as the days move ahead. What many refuse to understand is what the cause of all the brokenness is to begin with. We are the problem. Our sin is the problem. Sin is what has broken us and is what has broken this world. And there's nothing we can really do about it on our own unless we have Jesus Christ. That's why he is the way, the only way. Listen to what Jesus said here in John chapter 3, verse 17. Jesus said, this is when he came the first time. And this is still the same reason why he's coming again. He said, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save it. And Jesus already took the biggest step forward to do just that, save the world. Again, he took our sin upon himself to die on a cross. He took God's wrath, God's judgment. This man, he did nothing wrong, never sinned. And he took our sin on himself and God poured out his wrath on his son. Think about that. He died for us so we could live forever. So we can rise again with him, in him. When? On resurrection day. To live here on earth in the new redeemed world with him forever and ever and ever and ever. Let me ask anyone who refuses to believe. Maybe you're online, I don't know. Let me just ask you this question. If you still refuse to believe in Jesus, if you've refused to believe in Jesus now and don't want anything to do with him now, maybe you believe in God, but you're like, I don't need Jesus. Because you would rather follow your own ways or your own desires, then what makes you think that you would want to be with Jesus and follow him when he returns to earth? When he sets all things back to God's way and God's desires and not your own. You know, we wonder, we sit here and wonder, why do I got to follow God's ways now? Because he's preparing us for when he returns. We will be made new in him, completely glorified in Christ, risen in Christ to follow his ways. And guess what? God's not going to force that on us. He's not going to force anyone to follow his ways, especially when he returns, that that the who don't want anything to do with them. Unbelievers often ask, why would a loving God send me to hell for not believing in Jesus? God's word is very clear. God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. God doesn't want anyone to be separated from him. He loves you and me. But how could anyone live in the righteousness of Christ's resurrection when he returns or when they die or even want to if they're not willing to live and follow him now. I mean, it's pretty logical to me. I don't know, maybe it isn't to you, but it's logical to me. If I don't want Jesus now, why would I want him when he's here? Folks, listen, Jesus, again, is not going to force anyone to believe in him or follow him. You know why? He wouldn't be loving to do that. 
He would be a slave master. God gave us free will to choose now. And you can't say to God, I choose to follow my own ways and then turn around and say to Jesus when he returns or when you die, I'll follow your ways now. It's too late. Because God knows your heart. Jesus didn't die just to give us a ticket to heaven. He died so we can be redeemed, made new in him. So we can take care of all this garbage that affects so many of us in this world. Why would Jesus, by the way, allow people to live in his kingdom who do not want anything to do with him or don't want to change? Let's think about heaven for a moment. Heaven is a place where there is no more sin. There is no pain. There is no suffering. There is no death. And guess what? When Jesus returns to earth to judge this earth and make things all new on this earth, there will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. If God allowed sin in heaven or here on the new earth when Jesus establishes his kingdom forever. If he allowed sin there, heaven and the new earth would be nothing more than the same hell we're living in here and now. Makes no sense, does it? People say, well, why wouldn't God let me in to heaven? Why won't he let me into the new earth? Because you're a sinner. (laughs) Simple as that. It's the reason the world's broken. But thank God for His grace. Thank God for Christ that He resurrects us in Him. I don't know about you, but I don't want to see any more pain and any more suffering in this world, in our lives. I don't want to have to deal any longer with a pandemic that kills people. I don't want to see any more children take their own lives. I don't want to have to deal or see wars or racism or sexual exploitation and especially death. I don't want it anymore. And I know people in this world don't either. More importantly, neither does God. But God is patient. Because He wants you, He wants me, He wants that atheist I spoke to a few years ago. He wants the Muslim, the Hindu, all people in his kingdom. But when judgment day comes, it will be a wonderful and exciting day for those who are found in Christ. Number one, we'll see Jesus in the flesh with us here, but we'll also see our loved ones again who have died in Christ before us as our loved ones return with Jesus to this earth. But here's the thing, it won't be such a wonderful and exciting day for those who have rejected Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible often describes that day as a day of terror. Here's the thing, Jesus is going to say on that day, I had enough of this pain. Everyone says, why doesn't God deal with the pain? Why doesn't he deal with the suffering and death? He's going to. He's going to say, I had enough of it all. And God's going to say, Jesus, judgment day, or Jesus is going to say, judgment day has come. A new day has come. No more pain. No more suffering. No more death. And that's where it says in Revelation, Jesus will wipe all the tears from our eyes. If you are still rejecting Jesus, you may not like what I said, but it's the truth. The truth is Jesus loves you so much. He wants you to be with him. He did everything already to make that happen for you. Right where you are. He will meet you. He will accept you. You just need to believe in him. Ask him to forgive you. And then follow him. 
He will start transforming your mind into wholesome thinking as you wait for that day to come. He will begin to transform your life to be more like Him, preparing you for that day. The more you're prepared for that day, the more when He comes, it's like all the rest of the garbage in your life is swept away in that moment. But He wants you to be prepared for that day. Not to earn your way to Him. It's through grace. As Jesus transforms your life to be more like Him, you will live in this world for Him, this current world, and for others until He returns to set all things right. That's the Gospel. It's the good news. The return of Christ to this world is not bad news for those in Christ. It's great news. It's actually great news for the unbelievers too if they will believe now. When Jesus returns to this earth to establish His kingdom forever, your children can go outside and play without worrying that someone's going to come and snatch them away. Think about that. You can send your kids to school to learn without worrying that they're going to learn or be taught something evil. Think about that. People are Think about it. Jesus is coming here to rule here. Do you think there's going to be a debate about what type of education programs or curriculum we're having or sex education we're having in our schools? There's not going to be a debate on that. There will be no more worrying whether the economy is going to be good enough to feed our families. There will be no longer famine in the land for the presence of God. Because Jesus will be with us here on earth, ruling with love and in power from his throne in Jerusalem, as the scriptures say. And there will be no more death in the new kingdom. What a wonderful day this is going to be. Church, do you want to see that day come? We should be waiting in anticipation for it. The early church called that day our blessed hope. They thought about it every day. But here's the thing, church. We still have work to do before God will allow that day to come. There are still so many lost people out there who do not know Jesus. And Jesus wants us to be part of bringing them home. But here's a troubling reality. According to a worldwide missionary group called the Centennial Group, the latest statistics show that only 15% of the worldwide body of Christ lives here in America. I was shocked when I read that. I know we want to believe that we are a Christian nation, but the statistics do not represent that belief. And here's another concerning statistic. 85% of our churches in America have either plateaued or are declining in growth. By the way, I think this is also fulfilling prophecy. Or at least the beginning of it. This trend is the complete opposite trend, however, that we're seeing happening in churches in places where the gospel is being restricted, such as China and Iran. The church in those two countries are exploding in growth, even as they are persecuted. Now, I know I've been given some pointed and serious, serious messages lately. I don't always like having to do that. I'm certainly not a prophet of God. Never claimed to be. I'm just preaching to you from his word. And I'm also preaching to myself. The church in America needs to really wake up. We need to stop blaming our secular and ungodly politicians and start taking our mission as Christians serious. Because Jesus is going to come when we least expect him to come. 
and by that time it will be too late for those who have been rejecting him and following after their own ways. Let's just get real here for just a second. What if Jesus were to return today? How many people that you know would, and love would be ready? Are you ready? We can't say on one hand we want to see this evil go away in this world, but on the other hand say, Jesus, don't come just yet. The reality is if you study the prophecies of the Bible, there really isn't many prophecies left to be fulfilled before Jesus returns. Prophecy scholars say there are just a couple left. And everything is lining up in the world as I speak to have those last few prophecies fulfilled. And they will be. And Jesus will return at any moment. Listen to what Peter says about this. Starting in verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come like, the, like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Peter didn't sugarcoat his words here. Do you think all those Christians, by the way, suffering under the hand of their oppressors in China or Iran, you think they're going to be in terror when Jesus returns? No. They're going to be falling on their knees, singing holy, Holy, holy is the Lamb. Holy is the Lord Almighty. The Lord has returned. The Lion of Judah has returned for us. The ones who will be in terror are their oppressors. But even Jesus has grace for those oppressors right now. There's still time. The time is running out, I believe. The church in China and Iran are taking their calling to stay faithful, as Peter called them, the church in those days, to stay faithful. That's why that church is over there in those countries are exploding in growth. They're faithful under the persecution, are we? People in this world compare time against time, but God sees time against eternity. So what may seem like a long time for us is only like a couple of days to God. God's timeline is governed by His patience, a major attribute of our Heavenly Father. But I have to wonder, is God's patience running out? For some Christians, they think that the quicker Jesus returns, the faster we get out of here. But that's not how God thinks. The Lord delays His return because there are still people out there who Jesus is waiting for us to go get. Maybe you have loved ones that Jesus wants you to go get. We need to have the same outlook as God. Last Sunday I said in my message that we should not be seeking revival to receive more spirituality. We already have the Holy Spirit with us. We need revival because we need to wake up so we can find the lost so they can see the fire burning in this church, in our hearts, for the Lord. That is what the church is supposed to be about. So starting in verse 11, Peter follows all of this up with what is said about the return of Jesus by telling the church how to be, how to live while we wait for Jesus to return. Listen to what Peter says. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, he's speaking of the present world, this world here, what kind of people do you think you ought to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. I love what Peter said there at the end. To speed its I want to see Jesus come today, this moment. I want him here now. But I also know, again, he delays because he is patient. So how am I going to speed his coming? His coming? How are you going to speed up his coming? If you're waiting in anticipation, live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the return of Jesus so you can speed up its coming. 
Now, if that statistic, that 15% of the po worldwide populations of Christians are in this country, just 15%, we need to get that percentage higher if we want Jesus to return anytime soon, I believe. doesn't mean everyone's going to be saved. The scriptures tell us, unfortunately, people will still reject him. But God knows. He wants us to keep. We don't know who, who's going to be saved and who isn't. We have a job to do. We can't save anyone. But we have the Holy Spirit who can draw people to him. The Holy Spirit is within us. The end of this month is Easter Sunday. I'm calling upon this church to get serious with prayer. To really get serious with prayer. Again, the Holy Spirit calls people to Christ. The Holy Spirit was within us. We still have a job to do. But as we get serious with prayer and even fasting over the next few months, or a few days, or a well, few days, a couple weeks actually now. I'm losing track of time. As we head into Easter, I know if we get serious to, with prayer, people will be drawn here to hear the message of Jesus. Or even if they're not drawn here, they'll go somewhere. That's what matters is that they find Christ. We need to first pray for the Holy Spirit to help us, though, live holy and godly lives for the Lord. That is because if we are no different than the rest of the world, following after our own desires, why would anyone believe in Jesus as they watch us? They do. They won't. If Jesus is not doing anything within us because we refuse to obey and follow him, unbelievers most likely are not going to follow him either because it's not real. We need to be on fire for God here in this church and in our lives. And the only way we can receive that fire is through the fire of the Holy Spirit, which is why we need revival. And secondly, I'm just about done. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give us, here at Living Hope, the opportunity to minister to the lost. Thank God. I, we were praying for our family night, Thursday night, because the first family night, it was fun. We had our fam church family here. But none of the people that we were praying that show up, showed up. And we were praying. So we went back to prayer, praying for that. God answered that prayer. When, we, when it comes to people, and I don't know if any, some of those people had relationships. Maybe all of them did. I don't know. It's not for me to judge, having a relationship with Jesus. But all I know is if we're not praying, we're not going to save. I mean, no one's getting saved. This church will be useless if we're not praying. So let's pray as well. As we pray for God to make us more holy, to light that fire within us, let's also pray that he will give us then the opportunity to minister to the lost. And when we get serious about prayer, and we get serious about living our life for Christ, guess what will happen? The Holy Spirit will draw people here. I want us to pray for a bountiful harvest. And let me just, I've got to say a funny joke real quick. I was, uh, I, I read this, I'll probably not get it right because I'm not good with jokes, but um, I was hearing, reading this joke and um, one night the pastor got a phone call from the fire department. And the fire department was on the phone. They said, Pastor, your church is on fire. So the pastor gets in his car and he drives down to the church parking lot and uh, gets out and sure enough the church is engulfed in flames and some of the members of his church pull into the parking lot and they, they're all standing around and they're crying and hugging each other and praying together and the pastor sees at the corner of his eye one of this, man, this one man he was been praying for and ministering to who didn't have any relationship with Jesus, never stepped foot in the church. So the pastor decided to walk over to this man and he says, um, man, this is the first time I saw you here at our church. What made you come? He goes, I've never seen the church on fire before. <laughs> That's what we need, not a physical fire thing. 
We don't want that. But when a church is on fire for the Lord, people will come to, to watch it burn. That's why we're praying for a revival. I do think Jesus is returning soon. I really do. Perhaps in the next few years. Not given a date. I don't know the day or the hour. I do know the prophecies. I do know what's left to be fulfilled. <laughs> I mean, literally, one hand, I can count on what's left to be fulfilled before Jesus establishes his kingdom. And then, by the way, as far as him taking his church home, that could happen in any... You don't have to wait for those prophecies to be fulfilled. He can take his church any time he wants. Father, thank you for your word, Lord. I just thank you for the blessed hope that we have in you, Jesus. We see the evil, we see the pain, we see the suffering, we see the death in this world. We know, Lord, that even though you already came for us, you already died for us, you rose again so we can rise again with you, we can rise, even live this new resurrected life in you right here and now. We also know, Lord, there's still all the brokenness of this world, even after the first time you came and rose again. But Lord, you have given us time because you are patient. And you've also given us time so your church can fulfill the mission that you have given us. Father, help us here at Living Hope fulfill that mission. Help us to get real, get, get serious about the calling that you have upon us. Lord, I know there's people right across the street, there's people that we contact, there's people in our own families that don't know you. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. Help us, Lord, help us light that fire within us to get serious about the calling you have upon our lives. And Lord, we do pray for your soon coming because we do not want to see any more of this pain, any more of this suffering. We know you don't. Just help us be the people you have called us to be. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.